Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Go ahead and open up to 1 John if you would. Um, hope you guys had uh, some time to heal up from last week. I had a few people say, you know, I, I feel almost like a little sunburnt a little bit after last week. Like, thank you for that. And then they smile and go on. Uh, I've heard from life group leaders that the conversations have been pretty good. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, remember I was saying last week, like, you know, when you get on a plane, it can be a little turbulent and rocky. <laughs> We're still on the plane. <laughs> We're hopefully going to land it, but sometimes in really bad weather, landing the plane is almost a little more scary. And so, um, and here's the thing, we're just, we're just letting the Word of God speak. It's, it's not about what we think, and I think, you think, we're just letting the Word of God speak. And sometimes it punches us, but it's good and we need it. We're not going to shy away from that, we're going to lean into it. Because if God preserved His Word for us, and He wrote it, and He spoke it, I think as his kids, we need to listen up to it. And so 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out. That it, may, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. And I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is in the truth, of, of the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. Who, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. And I write these things to you, to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so starting here in verse 18, John gives us this warning. He's like, understand, kids, it's the last hour. And I know our culture, especially within the Christian church, within the community of faith here, we you know, get some of our, uh, on the ends of the spectrums, like it's, it, it's the end times and, and they're looking at all these things that are happening in the world and they're starting to align in the stars and they're interpreting all these things. All I want to say is you don't look to the world to understand when the end times are going to be. You look to Jesus. That's the whole book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus. And so don't look to the world and understand the lining of the stars and the movements and armies and countries. No, no, no. Look to Jesus. So you're probably thinking, okay, pastor, so are we in the end times? 
Absolutely. The moment that Jesus said, go and make disciples, and I'm going to go be with my father and I'm coming back, that, that started the end times. Like We're in them right now. John, Paul, all the other disciples, the early church, they all lived with more of an expectation of the return of Christ than they did their own death. Like Paul was like just very confident in that because he knew his death could come at any time, but it was, it was more close to him, the return of Christ, because we don't know. Like we're not waiting for any kind of signs that are going to happen, that are going to point us and we can know. No, we're in the end times right now because the moment that Jesus said, go and make disciples and I'm coming back soon, okay, let's get to work. And so I want us as a church, as Calvary Chapel, when the Lord does return, I just want him to find us doing the last thing that he called us to do. Not stockpiling food and ammo and water, not building this little compound here where we're all going to live and be weird. No. We're going to go and do what he called us to do. Go love God, love others, impact the world. Go and make disciples. You know, like it, it would be horrible if Jesus came back and he's like, all right, what's the last thing I told you to do? Go and make disciples. What are you guys doing? Not that. Like, I don't want to have that conversation. You know, like I've been seven or eight. My mom's left, come back home and said, hey, what's the last thing I told you to do? This. What are you doing? Not that. That never worked out well. And that was just my mom. Now we're talking about the Lord of all creation. I want him to find us doing the last thing. And so are we in the last hour? Absolutely. And so when John writes that word, the last hour, he's talking about a limited period to accomplish the Lord's specific purpose. So we have to understand that we're on a timetable and it's not our death that is the end of that timetable. Because a lot of times we think about that. There's some song that talks about life's like an hourglass glued to the table and we're just watching the sand tick away. No, no, no. We should be the hands and the feet and the heart of Jesus in the world, not because our life is coming to an end, but because Jesus is coming back. And we don't know. We don't know when that will happen, you know? And so we, 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 you see that and like, okay, what is that last hour? So what are we counting down to? And, and determining on your theology and, and verbi verbiage here, we can, uh, we can politely disagree. But a lot of times when I talk about the return of Christ, you know, what we as the church are waiting on is rapture, right? That's all we are waiting on. And so if you turn to 1 Thessalonians, Paul gives us this, a little bit of a, an encouragement so that we understand what we're waiting on. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, Paul is writing and he says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So if we are living right now and the rapture is going to happen, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up that's where you get the term rapture from is right there. That's Latin. So if somebody says, oh, the word rapture is not even in the Bible. Duh, because it was written, the New Testament at least, in Greek, and that's a Latin word. But what we're meaning is we're waiting for the caught up. That's all we're waiting for. We're waiting to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, right? And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
And so that's what we're waiting on. And that is different than the second coming because we're going to be raptured, then the seven years of tribulation start, and then we return with Christ. And even Zechariah predicts that and gives us a prophecy about it, saying when the Lord returns, he will be with his saints. And, and in the Old Testament, they probably read that and thought, well, how's, I, how are the saints going to get with him to come back? Because the rapture and the tribute, all that was a little bit of a mystery to them because they didn't understand the church. That church, the, the idea, the concept of the church hasn't started yet. So how do the saints get with Christ? Well, Paul gives us a little bit more understanding on that. And so John is telling us, here's the last hour. That's what we're waiting, this period of time to accomplish the Lord's specific purpose. And we need to understand that in this last hour, you hear that the Antichrist is coming. Yeah, there, there's going to be a battle, right? They made a movie about it. They went up in outer space. No, 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 that's Armageddon, but that's what we're talking about. There's going to be a battle about it. And well, who are we going to be battling against? Well, the Antichrist is coming, but how do we know that we're in the end times? John tells us, not just the Antichrist. Yeah, he's coming, so it means he's not here yet. But there's ant little Antichrist, people that have that spirit of Antichrist, meaning against Jesus. You're gonna, we're going to have some trouble. We're going to have some competition. There's going to be little battles that we're going to be going on. So they have come. And, but we are, and that's just kind of a glimpse of the fullness. It's almost like a preview of what is the fullness to come. And so if, you, if you're in 1 Thessalonians, turn the page, go to 2 Thessalonians, right? Paul wants us to know about this. He doesn't want us to be caught off guard. Encourage us in this. So 2 Thessalonians 2, look at verses 3 and 4. He says, let no one deceive you. What's the whole purpose John is writing? So that no one would deceive you. Paul's saying the same thing. Don't be deceived by this. Don't be deceived in any way. For that day will not come. Well, what day are we talking about? The return of Christ. Unless the rebellion comes first, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Different descriptors of the Antichrist. Well, tell us about him. Verse 4, who opposes, exalts himself against every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Understand this, Antichrist, that's exactly what Paul is lining out, is this is not going to be a complete opposite of God. A lot of times we think that, like, oh, this is the opposite of Jesus. No, no, no. Satan's a counterfeiter, right? He's not rolling in like pink 50s of Monopoly money, right? No, he's a counterfeiter. It's actually going to look really close to the real thing because we understand that counterfeits follow the real thing. So if Jesus says, I'm coming back soon, the counterfeit has to come first. And that's exactly what Paul tells us. The rebellion's going to happen first. The, the son of destruction, that lawless one's going to happen first. And so don't be deceived by this because a lot, especially with the Thessalonians, they were under some persecution and they're like, has this already happened? Because like, we're, we're really under the knife here, like literally under the knife. He's like, no, 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 that, it, you, you are suffering, you are being persecuted, but that's not tribulation. Those are two totally different things. And so John wants us to know that we're gonna have that antichrist spirit that's in our world. It's sanctity of life, and what were we praying against? The antichrist movement of abortion. Christ is all about life. And our world and our culture celebrates it. 
I mean, one of their movements of the pro-choice movement is to shout your abortion. You know, it's not even the thing that is done quietly, like sometimes you hear, like, secretly, we don't want anybody to know about it. Now, no, take pride in the very thing that you're doing that is against what God is against. And if you understand what Satan fell from, it was pride. And so this is, he's telling us, like, you're going to see that in your world. Don't be caught off guard by that, because there's going to be a lot of false messiahs. I mean, Jesus alone told us that in Matthew 24. I'm getting there, turning Matthew 27, Matthew 24. So his disciples roll up to him, and the one question they ask is, hey, when were these things going to be? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? Right? They ask that. Like, what's going to be the sign of your coming? And the first thing that Jesus says, Matthew 24, verse 4, see that no one leads you astray. If Paul has said it, if John has said it, if Jesus has said it, why do you think they all repeated don't let anybody deceive you or lead you astray. Because they will. And they will try. We need to understand deception's coming. For many will come in my name and say, I am in the Christ, and they will lead many astray. So you have John, Paul, Jesus, all speaking of this deception that is to come. And you can see what John is saying in verse 19, that, that they're going to come out from us, but they were not of us. That's kind of a sobering truth to understand. Where is that biggest uh, move of deception that's going to be against the church? Where is that going to come out of? From the church. So we're not looking at the world waiting for some, you know, red, painted up, horned, pitchfork opposition to Jesus. It's going to be a movement that happens within the church. But John lets us know, like, you're going to be able to know. Why? Because they went out from us, but they were not of us. And it's going to, be, it's going to become plain that they all are not of us. Like, that's a sobering thing. Like, look to your left, look to your right. That's where it's coming from. Be like, I knew this person was a part of the Antichrist. I knew that all along. No. But we have to understand that counterfeits are going to follow the real thing. And so if the real move of God in the world that's going to bring transformation and hope and faith and grace and mercy and truth, like, well, where's the counterfeiter going to come from? The wheat and the tares. It's going to happen right within this. That's where God is going to attack. That's why it's important that we focus on the word of God so that no one deceives us. For no one leads us astray. So when somebody stands up and starts saying, you know, well, I don't know if I believe that. I believe kind of this, and this is what I'm thinking. Like, we'll be able to look at the Word of God and be like, nah, I think you're off there, buddy. And I'm not talking about non-essential issues, right? Like, even us four pastors don't agree 100% on theology, but we have harmony. But there's going to be people that stand up that they're not in harmony, they're not in melody, they sound horrible. Because they're going to be speaking against the word of God, but it's going to be, it's going to sound good. It's going to be deceptive. It's going to pull many aside, but that's the importance of even just the heart of the 21 days in the word and for us every day to be in the word and know the truth and know the promises of God so that nobody would lead us astray. 
One of my professors is a guy named Ron Rhodes. He is pretty much the leading mind with counterfeit gospels and world religions. He is a stud. So anything that he has written, I would highly recommend for you to read. So if you have uh, like some Mormon friends that maybe you work with or Jehovah Witness or any Buddhist, atheist, like he has written about each of those uh, in a way to how do you approach someone that has a different world religion or counterfeit gospel? How do you approach them with grace and truth, right? And he was talking one time because he has his doctorate. And you know what he has his doctorate in? You would think world religions, not at all. He has his doctorate in systematic theology. And his line, I think, is so great. He goes, I don't need to know about every other world religion that is out there because we're just making them up as we go. I just need to know the truth. Because if I know the truth, I know when anything is off from that. And I think we as the church should be under that same kind of heart that we, know that we need to know the truth so that no one will lead us astray and try to deceive us. So when the counterfeit comes across us, we'll be able to see it plain to it. And just like what John's saying, that it might become plain that they are not from us. Why? Because we're going to know the truth and we're going to know what is real. And not, not just the truth of the word, but the truth of the Holy Spirit the, the, in one another. That We'll see the fruits of the Holy Spirit in one another. And so what's the biggest counterfeit today? Like, think about that. Like, all right, you're talking about it's going to come from even within the church. Like, what's, going, what's some of the biggest counterfeits that we see today? Well, here's one. Your two-pound Christianity is enough. Wearing the helmet of salvation once, maybe twice a week, that's sufficient. That's what our world, even in the culture of the church wants to tell us, that your emotions and your feelings, they trump obedience to God and sacrifice to what he's called us to do. That if you're going through suffering or pain, that means that you're not in the will of God because God just wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. So if you're hurting, if you're in pain, if you're suffering from anything, yeah, you're not walking in the will of God. I think these are all counterfeits. Another one is the God of grace no longer cares about righteousness, where we have this like little sin card that we can just go and do whatever we want and God will forgive us. He's the God of grace and he's the God of justice and is of righteousness and a God of holiness. And God doesn't change. He's still that same God. I think one of the biggest counterfeits today is follow your heart. Just be true to yourself. Follow your truth. And as long as you do that, you won't be led astray. Anybody ever follow their heart? I know I did. And it led me only into more sin and brokenness. Like I can't even trust myself. I don't even have my, my own self-interest at heart. Like God has my best interest at heart, but I don't even have that. I've made stupid decisions. I don't need to follow my heart. I need to follow Jesus. But these are those ways, because they sound good. Oh, just follow your heart. Oh, thank you. Sounds good, but it's a deception to lead us astray from following Jesus. And this is exactly what John wants to know. It's going to become plain to us. And we know that 2 Timothy 3, or 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4 tells us, because a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but they, they, having their itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. So when you have those sermons that hit us in the teeth, it's like, I don't know if I want to go to that. That just kind of hurts. I want to walk out of church feeling warm. 
like a warm chocolate chip cookie. That's who God is to me. Okay. I'm sure there's churches around there that'll do that. You go right ahead. But know what you're walking away from. I love, uh, this isn't, so any of my uh, ethnos missionary friends here, you're going to love this. A guy named C.T. Studd. Why couldn't I get a name like that, right? C.T. Studd. He was a missionary. And I love this quote. We will not build on the sand, but on the bedrock sayings of Christ. And the gates and the minions of hell shall not prevail against us. Should such men as we fear before the whole world, yes, before the sleepless, lukewarm, faithless, namby-pamby, yes, he said namby-pamby, Christian world, we will dare to trust our God. And we will venture our all for him. And we will live and we will die for him. And we will do it with his unspeakable joy singing loud in our hearts. And we will a thousand times sooner die trusting only in our God than live trusting in man. And when we come to this position, the battle is already won. And the end of the glorious campaign is in sight. And we will have the real holiness of God, not the sticky stuff of talk and dainty words and pretty thoughts, we will have a masculine holiness, one of daring faith and works for Jesus Christ. Do you read that? And if that doesn't like just stir a little bit in your spirit, you might check your pulse. Because we're not going to put our faith in, in what the world is. We're not going to build our house upon the sand, but on the bedrock sayings of Christ. Like That's why we want the truth. Like We want the word of God to gut punch us Every time we open it, Paul says, you know, I, I fight against my body. I box against my body to, to bring it into submission. Have you ever seen a boxer? I come from some boxers. My family, there's a few that were boxers. Like, that didn't look pretty. That didn't look fun. That looked like it hurts. And that's going to happen. And we need to do that even with one another. That's why iron sharpens iron. That doesn't sound like a pretty, soft, dainty words kind of thing. No, that, that sounds like something that's going to hurt a little bit. But that's what we're going to lean into because that's who we are at Calvary. And that's, that's how one of the ways it's going to be made plain to us is that when we hear those counterfeits that are happening in our culture, when we hear people that are like falling into prey of that, one of the easy things we could say to ourselves is, oh, they must not go to Calvary then. Oh, just follow your heart. That's what Jesus wants. Oh, you must not go to Calvary. We don't preach that. We preach the word. Oh, you, you just follow. You find your truth and you'll hear all these counterfeits. No, we're, we're not going to put around us what our ears want to hear. We're going to put around us the word of God and those that want to pour out their lives for Christ, even when it hurts. And you're going to think, like, where does this boldness come from that John's talking for us to have? Like, where does this knowledge come from? You know, I love in Acts 4 when they're looking at Peter and John, who are uneducated men. They were just fishermen, and they are boldly preaching the gospel. You know what it says of them? They perceived, oh, they must have been with Jesus. Let the, let the world say that about us. Where does the boldness of those people that go to Calvary, where does their knowledge come from? Where does that boldness come from? They must have been with Jesus. That's what we want the world to say about us. When they see the boldness of not just truth, it's not us standing up on soapboxes and, and 
hellfire and brimstone, but the boldness to be able to show grace and mercy, the boldness to be able to love those that the world doesn't want to love. Like that's, where does that come from? Jesus. And John is telling us here, it's, it's, it's an anointing from the Holy One. And that Holy One, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's an anointing. So it's kind of an Old Testament reference. We you know, don't think about anointing with oil much, even though it is in the New Testament. Read James. Anointed a lady in the hospital this weekend praying for her. But it, he's talking about anointing with oil. And all through the whole Old Testament, oil was always like a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Just like when we take communion, that's a symbolism. When we do a baptism, that's a symbolism. And when we anoint with oil, that's just symbolism. But John's telling us we have a great anointing that comes from the Holy Spirit. So this anointing is a reference to the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit, who's going to lead us in obedience, not in our emotions, not in our feelings, but he's going to lead us in obedience to the will of God. And he's going to lead us and teach us to follow Jesus. So if you're struggling in some aspect of your life, and you know you need to hand this over to Jesus to be able to follow him more, guess who you need to talk to? Ask the Holy Spirit, lead and teach me to be obedient to Christ in this area of my life. But listen to what John is saying. Those that deny Jesus as God, they're liars. And nobody likes to be called a liar. But if the shoe fits, if you deny Jesus as God, you're a liar. And they're not from us. And they're not from the Holy Spirit. So what spirit is there that is coming out that people are attacking the person of Jesus as not being God? That's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's where that's coming from. Not from anything else. That's not a, a new teaching. Jesus, the person of Jesus, has always been under attack. Why? Because Jesus has always been under attack. Because God has always been under attack. And so understand where that spirit is coming from. Not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of the Antichrist. But for us, how do we guard against that? I love what John writes in verse 24. He says, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. He uses this word like five or six times in the next couple verses. Let what you have heard abide in you, and you're going to abide in the Son and the Father, and you're going to have this promise of eternal life, that word life, that Zoe life. So not just this eternal life like, oh, when I die, I have eternal life. No, he's talking about now, the physical and the spiritual, that eternal life that we have from God. But let this anointing, let the Holy Spirit abide in you, and you abide in him. See, we abide in the Son and the Father. The Son and the Father don't abide in us because only the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in, abides in us. And you see the nuances that John is writing here. So he's like, let that anointing, let that Holy Spirit abide in you. That's where that boldness, that knowledge, that courage is gonna come from. That's where you're gonna be able to love the unlovable and show grace that knows that need grace. That's where you're gonna be able to show hope to the hopeless because of that anointing that is upon you. And John always wants us to know why he's writing. Never wants us to be like, why is he writing this letter? Verse 26, so that those who are trying to, to deceive you, like understand that the world wants to deceive you and pull us away. And again, it's not gonna be blatant lies like we talked about last week. It's gonna be, be counterfeits. It's gonna try to lure us like a fisherman away. If we can just get them out of the protection of the body, we can isolate that's how Satan loves to work and to attack. Wants you to isolate. Nobody knows what it's like to be me. Nobody, nobody knows what I'm going through. He wants to isolate us. Because when you can get him alone and you don't have the strength of the body behind him, that's where he does his greatest damage. 
I think that's why the writer of Hebrews said, don't forsake the assembly together. Don't find yourself alone. Don't find yourself isolated. Be a part of the body. And so John gives us this third reason. Don't be led astray. Don't get off course. Don't deviate from the path. Don't roam into air. And where's that biggest deception that's the attack? Again, the person of Christ. We talked about it last week. The three main areas that counterfeit gospels are attacking the church is going to be in creation, which you could probably guess our theme for Adventure Week for our kids. Guess what we're going to talk about? Creation. You're going to attack in the Word of God, and they're going to attack the person of Jesus. Every counterfeit gospel world religion attacks Christianity in one of those three ways, if not all of them. And so we need to abide in this anointing, abide in Christ, and the Holy Spirit abides in us. We have this eternal life. But what does it mean to abide in Christ? Like we hear that, sounds very churchy, sounds good, sounds like something we want to put on our Instagram, like just out here abiding in Christ. What's that look like? I don't know, but it sounds good. Like how does that practically look? And so when we think of abide, it means to remain in fellowship. Like, don't wander off, don't leave, just like they did in verse 19. They went out from us. No, stay right there with Jesus. Like, I'm staying with the Word of God on that. I'm not going to wander off into myths and silly, irreverent stories, as Paul was telling us back in 2 Timothy. Trying to find, you know, instead of sound teaching, I'm going to go off and find something to tickle my ears. No, I'm going to remain in fellowship with Jesus. So don't walk away Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit. Walk by that anointing that abides in you, that you abide in Him. And then Galatians 5.25 says to live by the Spirit. So every day, just walking in your normal day life, abide in the Spirit, let the Spirit abide in you. In your normal life, live by the Spirit. Ask Him, hey, today's Tuesday. I'm going to go to work. How, what, what does this look like? How are we... How do you want to work in and through me today? How can I be this anointing to be the hands and the feet of Jesus? What's this going to look like? And I bet he will answer that question for you. Because what do we find right between 516 and 525? The fruit of the Spirit. You know, we have this uh, anointing us from the Spirit so that the fruit of the Spirit should come out. So we should see love, joy, and peace. These upward attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. We should have this patience, kindness, and goodness. These are these outward attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. And then you have faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, these inward attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. So you can't just pick one, but having this anointing means it's going to change us in our upward response to God, our outward response to those around us, and even our inward response to who we are. So what do I need in my life? I need faithfulness. I need gentleness. I need self-control. And what was the first one that Paul lists here in Galatians out of the fruit of the Spirit? Love. And if you look, if you read ahead, if you want to get ahead and study for the test next week, John uses the word love 36 times in the next two chapters we're about to study. That's why, like Paul probably said, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So if we don't have a love for God, we don't have a love for those around us in love for our neighbor, we probably don't have the Holy Spirit abiding in us, and we're probably not abiding in the Holy Spirit if we do not have love. Not a love that the world defines, but a love that He defines. That it's, it's the love of the Holy Spirit 
that anointing that is working in and through us. And so in one line, if I could like try to define what does it mean to abide in Christ? Abiding in Christ is allowing the love of Christ to engage those who are far from Christ. That's what it means to abide in Christ, is to allow the love of Christ to work in and through you to engage those that are far from Christ or those that are struggling in their faith, those that are hurting. Like that's, that's the purpose of our lives is to be a conduit of the love of Jesus to the world around us. We don't get to define love. He defines it. All we are is carriers, right? We're, we're that donkey on Palm Sunday, walking into Jerusalem, carrying Jesus. Like understand the role, we're the donkey, okay? So we are allowing the love of Christ to engage those around us who are far from Christ. That's what it means to abide in Christ. You know what I didn't say? Read your Bible, pray, meditate, worship, serve. Because a lot of times we put spiritual disciplines, as long as we're fulfilling those, that means we're abiding in Christ. No, Satan knew scripture pretty well, even quoted it. I don't think he was abiding in Christ. Even the demons understand good theology, that there is God and he is one, but they shudder. And, and so we have to understand, like we've been talking about, we need to get our weight up. So the Bible, worship, meditating, serving, prayer, all of those are like weights, like dumbbells. I got a rack of a few dumbbells at home. They're small, it's okay. Those are just dumbbells and I own them. Yay, right? You can come over and I can show them to you. And they're dusty and how long they've been sitting there. I don't know. We've had them forever and we never use them. But I have them. And a lot of times we think we're abiding in Christ because we own the weights. Am I in shape because I own the weights? And then we can think, okay, well, we need exercise programs. That's why we need to read the Bible and study the Bible and memorize and pray for the lost and the sick and the hurting. We need to fellowship with other believers and worship and serve the body. Yes, those are good too. That helps to walk over and actually pick up the weights and use them. Now, we're at least moving in the right direction, but that's not abiding in Christ. Because a lot of times, what do we want to do? We, we want to stop there. And if we do, we're just posers. That we literally stop and we look in the mirror and we pose. You know, those guys that work out and all they do is pose in the mirror and they're flexing muscles that I didn't even know existed, Right? And sometimes that's what we try to do in our spiritual life. We're over here, we're lifting those weights. Look, I read through the Bible in a year. Good. How much of it has changed your heart? Don't read to finish, read to change. That's what we need. So yes, we need the weights. We need an exercise program, but don't stop there where we're just flexing in the mirror because we think we look good and we feel good. No, 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 no. The, what's the purpose of the weights in the exercise program? 2 Timothy 2.1 says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable... He will be a vessel for honorable use. Honorable use. Set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house. Well, guess who's the master of the house? Jesus. And what is he going to use us for? For every good work. See, we are not storage vessels. We are useful vessels for the master, for his good work. We abide in him his Holy Spirit abides in us, not to store it up, but to pour it out in the world. 
Because where else is the world going to hear the truth of the gospel, the love of Christ, the grace and the mercy of Jesus? We have a world that's killing their own. We have a world that doesn't even understand sexuality and gender and marriage. And if you look all through the Old Testament, when you see a surrounding nation of Israel destroyed, you know the two major sins that they had that was an abomination to the Lord and why God used Israel to bring judgment upon those surrounding nations? You know what their two greatest sins were? Child sacrifice and immorality in a sexual context. Look at our world. Kind of hurts to try to say, God bless America. Why would God bless America when he brought judgment upon nations that were doing the exact same thing? Now we need the blessing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit to bring truth and grace and mercy to the world around us that is living. We, we as Christians following Jesus, we're not living upside down. We're living right. We need to bring that hope to an upside down world around us so that they understand the fullness of, because I mean, it goes clear back to the garden. They're walking in an uncreation and in a chaos and in a destruction. Understand we have a real enemy that wants nothing more to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's stealing, killing, and destroying families and children and the family unit. But Jesus came to give us life and life abundantly. And a part of that is the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be the hands and the feet of Jesus that we would focus on his word that we would fellowship with one another, that we would encourage and build each other up and exhort one another to be that useful vessel for his good work. What's his good work for your life? I don't know, but he does. But will you be obedient to that in your life? Lean into that anointing that you have of the Holy Spirit. Let him lead and guide in your normal everyday life and see if he will not make himself very real and present to you and bring you to those places of his good work. So let's pray with me. Father, we ask that we would be that useful vessel in your hands, that we'd be filled afresh with that anointing, that gift of the Holy Spirit to be your hands, your feet, your heart to this world, that we'd be grace, mercy, love, and truth. But Lord, I pray that you would find us faithful and obedient. And we would keep our eyes focused on you. That we wouldn't be led into deception and be deceived and led astray. But we would walk by the Spirit and we would live by the Spirit. Give us that kind of boldness that kind of courage that can only be explained by they've been with Jesus. Let it be said of us, Lord. Not just in the walls in which we meet, but in the world in which we live. That people would see you, Lord, when they look at us. Give us that kind of faith. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.